Welcome to session number 195 of the Scanner School Podcast. Today we're talking about what's changed in the radio landscape in the 20 years post 9-11. This is a very great time to talk about this topic. I've kind of not touched on this in previous podcast episodes yet. And what we're going to talk about today is could be directly related to 9-11, but also lessons learned since. Again, 20 years is a long time for a lot of changes I mean, a lot of changes happen within 20 years. So let's go ahead and get started and discuss what has now changed in the scanner radio landscape since the last 20 years. Today's podcast is sponsored by our two brand new training courses. Our free SDR course, The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Software Defined Radio, will get you started with SDRs in an afternoon. We will show you what hardware and accessories to buy to get started with Software Defined Radio. Then we'll show you the step-by-step how-to to to install the drivers, tune your first frequency with SDR Sharp, and then have you monitoring digital at the end of this free course. Our advanced course continues with beginner's course left off and levels up your SDR experience. In this course, you'll learn even more about software-defined radio. We will show you how you can substitute an SDR for your high-end digital scanner, how to monitor HD radio, monitor trunk systems, and overhead data with Unitrunker, and even how to monitor all the talk groups on a system and never miss a beat with SDR trunk. You can sign up for both courses at courses.scannerschool.com. Before we start this week's podcast, I'd like to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Patreon is a month-to-month sponsorship platform. We have three different support tiers, each with different benefits. But the most valuable tier is our $5 a month tier. This equates to sponsoring the podcast for about a dollar per episode. Now, not only do our $5 Patreon supporters receive the podcast early, but they also receive a commercial-free version of the podcast delivered directly to their podcast player. Some may say that the included squelchy sticker pack that is mailed to your home is the best benefit of the $5 level, but I think it's the community or the club that is growing at this level. You see, we meet once a month on Zoom, and we have a roundtable discussion about scanning, ask questions, offer advice. Some of the members are answering other people's questions, and we just talk with our fellow scanner school classmates. This is an exclusive group for our $5 Patreon members. Now, again, if all this wasn't enough at that level, you'll also receive discounts to upcoming Scanner School courses and offerings. Now, you can help support Scanner School by going to www.scannerschool.com slash Patreon or www.scannerschool.com slash support. Now, I'd like to thank all of our Patreon supporters at all levels, and they are Arthur Heron, Bill K, Brian King, Bruce Gold, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Pascoe, David C, Danny Crotty, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Floyd Goff, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, Jay Haycock, Jacques Berry, James Broxson, James Felling, James Peruta, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jenny Taylor, Jim B, Jim Heinrich, John Keel, John Swinney, John Goldenberg, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lynn Smith, Mark Beebe, Mason Kramer, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Teal, Randy Cummins, Raymond Hill, Robert, Robert Kanzler, Robert Kanzler, again, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Terry Weatherford, Tim Mazza, TJ, Todd Glendie, and William Arcand. Now let's start the podcast. Welcome to The Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. 
Welcome to Scanner School. This podcast is here to teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and my amateur radio call sign is W2LIE. Now, as a reminder, I'm always looking for your scanner radio-related questions for our next Ask Scanner School podcast, which releases on the first Tuesday of every month. You can submit your questions via voicemail at 516-308-2885 or by using our SpeakPipe voicemail link or over on our email format, scannerschool.com slash ask. So it is very hard to believe that it's been 20 years now since the terrorist attacks have happened here in the United States. So we're going to talk about how the events of 9-11 changed the way that we now scan. And again, it's been 20 years. A lot of things happen in 20 years now. Is everything here directly a result of what happened at 9-11? No. A lot of these things were already in place, already had to happen, or probably would have already have happened anyway. But it's been 9-11 that really brought to light some of the changes that had to happen. But it's not only 9-11 that was the catalyst for change. We also had... Hurricane Katrina, which happened just four years later in 2005. Now, 9-11 was basically proved there was a problem with communications at the local level. Now, if anybody was listening live back in 2001 and you were listening to the events on unfold basically on FDNY or NYPD during a day or any other responding agency – You'll know there was a lot of issues with units keying up over each other, dispatchers getting information across, even the fact that the towers were compromised and unstable wasn't really able to make it out to those people who were responding. I mean, would that have stopped people from running in anyway? On a personal level, I believe that you know these people were heroes and they would have, even if they knew what was going to happen, they still would have run in to try and save lives, right? But the idea of the fact that information could not make it down to the responder level was eye-opening and really put focus on a problem that was one of those deals that's like, hey, we know there's a problem here. We know we have to eventually address it. We'll, we'll, we'll address it, right? But they, nobody ever really puts the plan into place. So now we've had a catastrophic event on soil here in the U.S., that really said, hey, we have to do something here. So we all basically remember the destruction of the Trade Center right here in New York City. I mean, I live in Long Island. I'm about to give or take traffic 30 to 45 minutes east of the Trade Center. When I was working for the paging company as a field tech, we used to align our, our ground links, our antennas to the Trade Center by eye. Because we could see them over, over you know, in the distance. So that's how we set up some of our, our linked stations. Many were over by satellite, but there was one frequency that came in off of 72 megahertz off of the Trade Center. And like I said, you know, we would just go up on the roof and we would make sure the antenna was pointing in the right direction. And all the way out in to 30 miles east of where I live here, we were pretty much able to see the Trade Center. And even on my way home from work, there's certain areas of the Long Expressway where all of a sudden it just peeks out over the horizon. Anytime you drive into the city or over the city, you cross over the bridges, right? The Trade Center was right there. It was always something that was very visible and was always something to me that always existed, right? Because I was born in the late 70s. So to me, the, the Twin Towers were always there. Now, besides the destruction that happened right in New York City, 
and the two planes that were required to take it down, American Airlines Flight 11 and Flight United Flight 175. But we also had a couple other planes responsible for the destruction as well, right? It was American Airlines Flight 77 that hit the Pentagon and also Flight 93 that was overpowered by passengers and nosedived into the ground in Pennsylvania. So all of these, again, remember 20 years ago, just within the last couple of days of publishing this podcast episode, when you guys are listening, still future events right now as I'm recording this. Hurricane Trina, right, came ashore in Florida in 2005 as a Category 1 hurricane on August 25th, 2005. After crossing over land, storm was downgraded to a tropical storm, but quickly regained its strength in the Gulf of Mexico and regained and made it to a top Cat 5 hurricane. Katrina made its way into land again as a secondary landfall in New Orleans, Louisiana. It was officially declared a Category 3 storm as it made landfall, but one thing to remember is that landfall is when the eye of the storm hits land, and the power of that storm extends outwards from the eye, right? So even though we had a Cat 3 at the time the storm's crossing over and making landfall, the effects of that storm reach a lot further than just the eye wall, right? So the winds, the rain, the push of the tides, right? The push of the water, this all happens outwards from the storm. And again, Category 5 storm max wind speeds were around 175 miles an hour. Category 3, which is what it made landfall at, is 125 miles. Again, the strongest winds being at the center of the storm. So remember, lots of destruction, lots of issues going on, lots of roofs, lots of flooding, right? Lots of roofs being pulled off of homes. Don't want to get into politics here. That's really not the point of this here. And again, just to put in perspective right now, as I wrote this podcast session, Hurricane Ida was still out in the Gulf of Mexico. Right now, as I am recording this session, Hurricane Ida is making landfall in Louisiana. Okay? This is all repeating itself now. So whatever happens, you guys will know basically before you listen to this, but after I record it, right? So a lot of things are going to happen now in the next couple of weeks and most importantly, hopefully the next couple of days where we do see, right, Lessons learned from Katrina and 9-11 when it comes to the rescue efforts of what's going on now or what had happened with Hurricane Ida. Again, it's present and future tense for me, but you listening, it's all past tense. So again, we're not going to point fingers here or, or look at a political party or political figure as to what happened with, the, with what happened with Katrina and communications on it, right? It's not the point of the podcast. The point here is we're talking about What's changing in the spectrum, the RF landscape, what it means to us as a scanner radio listener? And again, what what caused what what is making it so that other agencies now can communicate and talk to each other and and get the help they need and disseminate information so that it goes directly to where it needs to go. Now, the FCC on their website talks about in 2008. Right, the FCC auctioned licenses for use in portions of the 700 megahertz band for commercial purposes. Right, mobile wireless service providers had already begun using the spectrum to offer broadband services for smartphones, tablets, and laptops and other smart devices. But in 2012, U.S. Congress enacted the Middle Class Tax Relief and Job Recovery Act of 2012, also considered the Spectrum Act. Now, 
This directed the commission to allocate the D block, which is from 758 to 763 megahertz, and also 788 to 793, to public safety for use in a nationwide broadband network. And also, it formed the First Responder Network Authority, which is FirstNet, as an independent authority within the U.S. Department of Commerce. FirstNet is charged with the responsibilities for deploying and operating the nationwide public safety broadband network and will hold a license for both the existing public safety broadband spectrum and the reallocated D-block. Allocate up to $7 billion to FirstNet to construct this nationwide public safety broadband network. Now, let me just say this as well. I work for a three-letter cell phone company that is responsible for deploying FirstNet spectrum. When I speak about FirstNet, I am only speaking about things that you can find in public record on public websites. None of this comes from anything job-related. I strictly read purposefully the word-for-word off of the FCC website over at FCC.gov slash 700 megahertz public safety narrowband spectrum. I'll put a link to this in the session notes. Now, we also have the 9-11 Commission Act of 2007. Now, again, I'm going to read just the beginning of this. And this is the bill passed on the House basically on January 9, 2007 at a vote of 299 to 128 to 8. It later passed the Senate with an amendment by unanimous consent. The two chambers of Congress went to conference and a conference report in which the bill was amended and renamed the Improving America's Security Act of 2007 passed the Senate 85 to 8 to 7 on July 26, 2007. The House 371 to 40 to 22 the following day. It was signed into law by G.W. Bush August 3, 2007 and became public law 110 53. Again, this all comes from Wikipedia. Very purposefully reading the laws and everything exact for you guys. So basically, the private sector preparedness requirements in the bill were based on the work commissioned by the Sloan Federing to draft the framework for voluntary preparedness. Short titles of this, and this is the one that we're going to pick out here as a short title, is going to be Improving Emergency Communications Act of 2007. So now, what does this all mean, right? We've gone through a lot of history and a lot of laws, changes, and whatnot. Again, very purposely reading text as is written, all right? First of all, so I don't make mistakes. Second of all, so I don't get in trouble with my job. <laughs> so, but we can see there's a lot, of, a lot of things that had to come into law and had to be done at, an, at a higher government level so that it now trickles down into the local and state levels for communication. So on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about what this means for spectrum and the spectrum changes and where things were put into place. And also, also some things that were already in place that, again, we are seeing now. And we'll explain why things are the way we see them now on the other side of this break. Now, as a reminder, anybody who's a Patreon 3 and $5 level, you guys don't get this break. If you guys don't want to hear this break, it's very simple. Just go to scannerschool.com slash Patreon, sign up to be a Patreon supporter, and the podcast will not only be delivered to you early but also commercial free we'll be right back did you know there are ways to help support the scanner school podcast that doesn't take any time or any extra money on your part if you go to scannerschool.com support you will find we have several ways that you can 
continue to do your online shopping and help support us. We have links to Amazon. If you click on our link before you go to Amazon, anything you buy from there will help support Scanner School. Now, if you're in a market for a brand new scanner, an antenna, other accessories, we have links to Scanner Master, where you can not only purchase a scanner and accessories, but you can also get your radio programmed. And by clicking on our link before you buy, you are helping to support the podcast. Now, if you're in a market for software, we have links to Butel. And if you want something new to you, we also have links to eBay. Again, just go to scannerschool.com support before you make your purchases, and you are helping to support Scanner School at no additional cost to you. This session of Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pagers. Now, East Coast Pagers is one of my online companies, and we are a Unication, Apollo, and Swiss phone dealers serving the North American market. Now, if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, we can get you a quote at the very best prices. So why does a company like East Coast Pagers support Scanner School? I think that every Scanner Radio user should at least put one pager in their collection of radios. The reason why is very simple. It frees up your scanner to just do scanning, and then you have one radio that's dedicated to your local fire activity. Now, with a pager, you can have voice storage. You can do tone outs. You can keep it silent. You can go back the next day and listen to what you've missed overnight. It's more than you can do with an out-of-the-box scanner. And with today's pagers having multiple frequencies and even having multiple channels in a scan list, like the Unication G1 can do eight channels in a scan list. It has 64 memory channels, and out of the box, it comes with 11 minutes of stored voice and a desktop charger. The G2s to G5s, they do P25 phase one and phase two in simulcast environments with stored voice, paging on conventional NP25. Oh, and they're upgradable too to DMR type one and type two. They are more rugged than today's consumer-based scanners. And with a pager like a Swiss phone S-Quad, you won't even realize you're wearing one. It'll help keep you informed as to what's going on in your neighborhood. So again, eastcoastpagers.com or contact me directly, phil at eastcoastpagers.com. Do you have a new scanner? You're having problems understanding how it works? Maybe you're new to the entire Home Patrol database of programming and you can't figure out Sentinel. Did you get a new SDR and you're trying to figure out how to install it or you want to learn how to use Unitrunker, DSD+, maybe set up a Pioware, or even just make some changes and you don't understand how this system and the equipment works? The podcast might be great for you, but maybe you need a little bit more of one-on-one help with setting something up. I'm available to do just that with you with our private tutoring sessions. You can book me online by going to scannerschool.com consulting for a one-hour session. And it's great because we can actually share computer screens remotely, and I can guide you through step-by-step as if I was sitting right next to you. So again, book me for an hour at scannerschool.com consulting for your scanner radio one-on-one tutoring session. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues, too. So visit natcommag.com to download your free sample issues and sign up today. That's natcommag.com for National Communications Magazine. Okay, so in February of 2006, the U.S. House of Representatives voted 216 to 214 and approved a budget package that would require analog 
television broadcasters to clear the 700 megahertz airwaves on a date of February 17th, 2009. Now, this was signed by G.W. Bush, and the transaction package was, was passed into law and approved a $1.2 billion in funding for public safety communications. So I want to paraphrase what actually this states. So basically, the introduction of the Advanced Television Systems Committee, that's the ATSC, Digital Television Standard in 1998 provided an opportunity for change. Digital ATSC channels use approximately one-sixth the bandwidth as their analog national television systems committee counterparts. Now, that's the NTSC. So, digital TV basically uses less bandwidth and also gives you higher image resolution and also, you get some other sub-channels and other stuff that's available with digital TV, right? As, as, as like listing guides and, and whatnot. So what basically happens is we have TV from channels 2 up to 69, basically. And now they get compressed now down to 2 to 51. Okay, so we're shaving off a couple of TV channels here. So with that, channel 51 has now become a guard band channel, basically. It's a channel that will remain vacant because it butts up against the A block of the 700 megahertz band. So basically, we're using channels 2 to 50 now at this point. So channels 52 to 69 have now been reallocated. Channels 70 through 83 are now part of the land mobile radio system, basically, which public safety and trunk system. And this is where now we are seeing reuse, basically, in our public safety spectrum, right? When we look now at many trunk radio systems, we're getting frequencies in the 700s, right? Well, where do these channels come from? Where do these frequencies come from? It's all from the reallocation of analog TV where they've taken all of these old analog channels and when they compress them down into digital, they sent them south down in the spectrum, basically, reclaimed all of these frequencies now for public safety use, Again, auctioned them off, made a bunch of money off of it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So this is now why we are seeing tons of trunk systems being deployed. Again, APCO 25, because in order to be able to get grant and get money, right, they've got to be P25 systems. Again, P25 is very important for interoperability because, again, that's one of the standards now that's, that is supposed to be being used, right? So that's where all these frequencies came from. Basically, everything in the last 20 years is what we're seeing today. This is the payoff of all of these changes, right? So again, let's take another look here at FirstNet. Again, I am reading directly from the FirstNet website in their FAQ section. Basically, FirstNet is a nationwide public safety cellular network, services and solutions dedicated to first responders who support them. We are accountable for keeping your lines of communication open with dedicated mission critical solutions that will help to modernize public safety. So how does FirstNet work? FirstNet uses all AT&T LTE spectrum bands in a special line of connectivity called band 14. Nationwide high quality spectrum specifically set aside for FirstNet. During an emergency, this band or lane can be cleared and locked just for FirstNet subscribers. Why is FirstNet unique? FirstNet is the only communications platform specifically designed with and for public safety based on their direct feedback and needs. 
FirstNet works across agencies, jurisdictions, and state lines and has robust tools and features. Finally, what role does AT&T play? AT&T is the official private partner behind FirstNet. AT&T is working with the First Responder Network Authority in an independent government agency to design, build, and evolve FirstNet for the next 20-plus years. So again, now you have a little bit of an insight as to what it is I do on my day-to-day job role and why I haven't yet talked about FirstNet, okay? Again, everything I'm talking about here comes directly from their website. There is nothing I am speaking of that is actually what I do day-to-day or anything else that I may or may not know about FirstNet due to my work job, okay? Everything I've spoken about, again, has come from the website. So we now have 700 megahertz trunking systems. We have 700 megahertz FirstNet spectrum, right? That's on a commercial carrier. We've got now an interoperability guide, right? This is the National Interoperability Field Guide I talk about several times on the podcast. This is the NIFOG booklet. The National Interoperability Field Guide is a technical reference for emergency communication planning and for radio technicians responsible for radios that will be used in a disaster response. Basically, it outlines alpha tag, frequency, use, PL codes, Modes of transmission, whether it be analog or digital or simplex or fallback for a trunk system, right? It's all spelled out in the interoperable field guide. And in fact, many agencies use channels right out of the field guide for simplex or car to car. Think about radios that are on an 800 megahertz trunk system or a 700 megahertz trunk system. Instead of having a talk group set aside for point to point, they may actually go over to 8TAC1 or 8TAC2 or VLAW1 or VLAW2 as a point-to-point or simplex channel, primarily because they're already programmed in the radios and secondly because it gets them off the trunk system so that they don't tie up resources to find out what they want for lunch or dinner, right? So the other thing we need to keep in mind right now is, again, it's it's the end of August of 2021 and we are due for NIFOG version 2.0. So if you have a version uh, 1.6, be or expect to see NIFOG 2.0 drop really soon. It's supposed to be out the summer of 2021. I don't know if they're going by the calendar summer, celestial summer rather, or by the unofficial start or end of summer. But uh, you know, with Labor Day coming up in a, in a couple of days here as we record it or has already passed since you guys are listening to this that that let's you know has to be seen here so again version two may already be out by the time you guys are listening to this podcast recording so in summary in the last 20 years we have seen a lot of things happen post 9-11 post katrina maybe we'll see some lessons learned post ida again we'll we'll see that in in i'm sure the next couple of weeks and months probably after you guys listen to this podcast episode again. And again, we had Superstorm Sandy roll through here at Long Island back in 2012. And a lot of the frequencies that I noticed were in use were actually part of the NIFOG listings. We had the National Guard roll in. We had a lot of black helicopters roll through that you don't want to see, right? A lot of with the doors open and people surveying a lot of the damage. I, I saw plenty of those informations flying overhead as well. So the NIFOG does work. It's great that we finally see documentation and a play-by-play book on where agencies should be and how they should communicate across not only the local level, but across county levels, across state levels, 
and of course national levels as well. Another great example is where NIFOG could have been used is in a COVID environment, right? We've had multiple agencies roll in and do support during COVID. And I'm sure we're seeing it in so other hotspots across the nation and the world as well. So again, hopefully, you know, I'm some recording this. Again, Hurricane Ida is making landfall right now. And uh, we'll see how that goes. And again, you guys already know. <laughs> so Lots of changes post 9-11, lots of changes post Katrina, lots of changes probably post Ida. But we all learn, and this is why, again, we are finding 700 megahertz systems now pop up and be deployed and be part of trunk radio systems. And again, why they're all APCO 25 is so they can all get their grants. So again, want to take a moment here to remember those lost during 9-11 20 years ago. Again, something that is uh, very near to my heart, just based on the fact that, um, you know, how close it hit to home. And uh, there's many street signs here that have uh, memorial name changes to the streets due to those who have lost lives. And uh, definitely surprised to see it's it's been 20 years at this point. So with that, we'll end the podcast here. Hopefully you guys have learned something. And you've seen the change in landscape. And again, we could say it's been 20 years. Uh, it's just been 20 years. That's that's just a change, natural change of evolution of, of band planning. Or we can say, yes, that there's been lessons learned. And that's why these these all changed. So with that, we're gonna, we'll just sign off the podcast here. I want to say thank you all for listening. And we've got a great interview next week. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can check out that interview as well. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and this is Scanner School. We teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby. 73.